Welcome to the Contractor Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Phillips. This show exists to help small business owners like you escape the tyranny of contractor prison and enter the bliss of contractor freedom so you can have the time, money, and freedom to live your life with purpose beyond your business. As a certified human behavior consultant in disc personality styles and motivators, I'll be sharing with you skills for life, love, leadership, and business. I'll also be connecting you with experts that can help you scale your business and your life. So if you want to build the business and life of your dreams, then you are in the right place. Let's go. Hello, contractors. I'm excited. You are going to want to stick around for the entire episode today. We've got a very special guest with us, Mr. Nick Slavic. He is the proprietor of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company, and he's also the host of Ask a Painter Live. He has been a national and international speaker. He is a U.S. Army veteran who volunteered for two tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. After he got out of service, he attended college. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in business management. And by the way, Nick is also a family man. He and his wife have four kids, and Nick has traveled the U.S. hosting masterclasses for business owners and craftspeople. As a matter of fact, Nick is a, a craftsman himself with more than 30 years of experience. Uh, his company has been awarded 15 national awards for craftsmanship, and he's currently the chairman of the board of the directors of the PCA. That's the Painting Contractors Association. And Nick, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and say welcome to the show. You are making a Minnesotan blush. We are very self-conscious about that sort of thing. And to list our own accomplishments in front of us, you're making me turn red. <laughs> well, Jason you've Phillips. got quite a list. Just re reading your site and your bio and all of this stuff, man, you are you're almost like a, you're almost like a Renaissance man. I'm just, I'm not kidding. Yeah, no. And so you have no idea how much I appreciate that. Cause one of my mentors outside of this industry is the prototypical Renaissance man where his politics don't align with his hobbies. His hobbies aren't his politics. He's his own person. He builds stone huts. He shoots things. He's, he's an avid person in politics. He loves family. He does this. There's nothing in his life that fits any bucket. He's a fine artist. He makes things and it's just great entrepreneur. And to me, people who don't fit the mold like that and are just, they do it they like, they try to do the best and create good opportunities for others is inspiring. 100, you are inspiring a lot of people around <laughs> around the nation and, and I'm sure beyond. Obviously, you're an international speaker. I've seen you travel here and there and, and mm -hmm. speak in different countries. You and I were talking before we hit record and about the difference. We're both on the same journey and our listeners are on the same journey of entrepreneurship, owning a small business. And my listeners know that I came in completely broke uh, with a sales and marketing mindset, but you came in a different door, but we all were, we both ended up yeah. at the same place. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you're at today? Yeah. So this was, there's not many origin stories. One of them is I did it in college. One of them is my dad did it and made me do it. And I was, my dad was the, I did it in college. I was the, my dad did it in college and then made me do it. So we encompass a lot of the origin stories. There's very few people like Jason Phillips who come in here with a certain amount of knowledge and education and things like that and, and have an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. I was just forced to do it since I was 10 years old. By the time, by the time, I had graduated high school, I was a really dang good painter. I was fast and good. There was nothing I couldn't do. There was nothing I didn't look forward to. And I could train others and I could handle the clients and everything else. So I had a really, I had a, I had an eight or nine year uh, professional career by the time I was already out of high school. So it was that thing where dad started the business, made mom and brother and me work. And we just gave a heck. Over wow. The years. That is awesome. <laughs> One of the things that I see so common, and I want to get your input on this. I see in so many of the contractors yeah. I meet, 
It's something I experienced. I came in with my own strengths, but I also, I, I quickly got to a spot where I was hitting these ceilings because I didn't know mm. what I didn't know. And some of the things that I didn't know were how to make scalable systems. I knew how to make systems that mm. made me a personal powerhouse, but I couldn't train. Oh, yeah. Other people couldn't take those and make something awesome with them and continue them. Another one was, gosh, I was not a really good leader. Mm, and then the other one was just higher level business skills. So I could sell, mm, I could market, yep. I could get the leads, but I quickly hit this criti critical velocity. I just couldn't go any faster, any higher without everything blowing up. Yeah. And what has your yep. experience been with that? Yeah, same, except that I started out not possessing the knowledge of some obvious things that I feel like you did and some other people did. For the the majority of our industry, when you go by the stats, 99% of all paint businesses in the United States are single owner operators. Historically, they start out by somebody being very good and fast at painting and not finding a professional company to work for, so they start their own business which is an interesting thing because they don't come in believing some obvious things about business, which is a separate checking account and job costing and a marketing thing and, and a hiring process and legal guide work, like an employee resource guide or a handbook. And there's things that are obvious to some people in the world that are not obvious to painters. None of those are there. So I've had that same track. The weird data point that I can offer this industry, and I think it's why a lot of the things I do and say are relatable is because I have literally done this the hardest possible way that you could do. And I, I've been using grit, brute strength, and hours to solve all these problems. Not dissimilar to making yourself a physical powerhouse, which is, I love this. My name's on the business and everything is going to go through me. And soon you realize that doesn't go as far you're as like, you think it does. Oh crap. Everything <laughs> has to go through me. <laughs> yeah. And you're forced into an 82 hour week. You have created a business that demands 82 hours a week from you. And not only 82 hours a week, but all the risk, all the payroll, it, it costs $55,000 a week to run my business. And that is risk. Whether we make that or not, I owe that. And so not only are you putting yourself in for 82 hours, you're having all the risk and there needs to be a equivalent reward for all those Man, things. You, that is said so well. You know, what? my family <laughs> in my early years, I, I worked those type of hours and my business was getting the best of me and my family was getting my cold leftovers. And I just, I mm -hmm. had this wake up call and it was a very yep. powerful moment in my life. And I made a decision that I was going to do things differently and grow and build a team. Have you hit these spots where you've had this, even maybe this emotional a moment even? Jason, you are describing my 2023. This literally what you just described, I have gone through the largest epiphany, lightning bolt, professional, personal revision I've ever done in my life, ever. And literally it's, I'm just coming out of the flux of that right now. And this year has been absolutely wild personally and professionally. And like that, it comes to a breaking point where everything's fine until the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back gets laid on top of you. And guys like you and me, are super achievers. We have a high pain tolerance. We're willing to do anything to get anything done to take care of those around us. The problem is you and I do have a breaking point. I reached mine in a couple different ways in, in not like crazy dramatic ways, but getting wise enough to take in input from others to say, Nick, this is fine. You say you're fine now, but what happens next year or the year after? If you think you want to keep doing this and growing, I don't feel you can do this forever. So you need to start thinking about the future. And last thing I'll say is the thing you said right before I started talking, 
talking has so much deep wisdom in it and people are all going to nod their heads and agree and fine. But if you haven't been there, you don't know how deep and impactful what you just said was. This gas tank, this proverbial gas tank, we have a gas tank and we'll empty it into our community and our friends and our business and our clients and everything else. And business owners have this horrible trait where they save no fuel for their family or their self and they are the main sufferers. And we have amazingly resilient families that put up with a lot. They too have their breaking points. Wow, that's true. And, and I'm thankful that my wife has tremendous patience. <laughs> She had tremendous yeah. patience and in the early days she did, but we worked out, I was going to do X, Y, A, B, C, and she was going to do X, Y, Z family wise. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean it wasn't pressured. There was a man, there was a lot yeah. of pressure. And, and when I finally got over that and got out of that hole, I just, I started taking vacations with her and my family constantly and just making up for mm -hmm. lost time. And I'm so thankful to God that, that I was able to do yeah. that. It was, man, it was one of, one of my most powerful moments again, man, I've, there's this emotional connection that comes with being an entrepreneur. <sighs> I was, okay, I'm, I'm older than most in this industry right now. I When I walked my first daughter down the aisle to get married, mm. from, from the back of that chapel to the front was, I don't know, 20 steps. Our entire life together, every highlight, every dad-daughter moment mm. from learning to ride a bike, learning to walk, learning to swim, even being born, you drive a car, all those things Jesus. flashed but before my eyes in just mm. a few short moments and tears were streaming down my face. And Jeez, I was recently... Man meeting with some contract, the gathering of in San Antonio. And I told them, I, I said, guys, it was exactly 20 years before that, that I slammed my fist on the desk and said, no more. I've got to do things different. My family's mm. getting my leftovers. I can't do this anymore. And I'm so glad that I had wow. that moment of reality check of anger, of pain, so that yeah. that I really, I experienced all those memories with my daughter. And I, I my heart goes out to all the other contractors. I see, I see that yeah. they are where I was, so many of them, and I want to help them get over that. And I think I see you doing that same thing. Man. And honestly, the worst thing that happens to guys like us is having a high pain tolerance and putting up with this. I my, my wish to this entire industry is that people would get broken in their first year, learn from it and move on and never make the mistakes again. Now, it would be great, Jason, if they would never have that thing at all. But honestly, guys like us who have high revving sort of motors and uh, all we see is missed opportunities and we're happy and optimistic and high pain tolerance. I think we need to hit that control out delete or have it hit for us every once in a while just to be like, it, it takes some monumental things to reset us and reorganize our priorities sometimes. That's what Mike Tyson say. He said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And no, you're right, man. That's that, that is great. I haven't thought about it that way. That would happen within the first year of business. It'd be great. Now, listen, what I'm heartened over is that you and I have been in this industry a long time. I was raised in trades V1, which is old grumpy men screaming at me. And that's how most of us have been here. And I've had to go from being a young grumpy man screaming at people into a middle-aged grumpy man, trying not to screen at people, trying not to be a grumpy man at all. So I've encompassed two feats in two different stages of the industry. And I'm very heartened now when I travel the country and we're in a room with 50 to 100 contractors at some industry event. And the average age is 31 and a half. And they're coming in having job costed their first job. They have a separate checking account. They have employment agreements and standards in the company. And they know their P&L and things like that. And they actually talk about a work-life balance. And I was like, 
like it, it's taken a long time for me to not get angry at that because I look back at my life and say, I should have done that sooner. I'm now a little more sophisticated where that makes me proud now to see these young people doing this. And I feel like that's my maturation. So being as a crafts a craftsman, did you struggle yeah. with making the leap from craftsman to business person or or did you not struggle with that at all? Oh no, this has been the, the biggest struggle of my life. Forming a bit. So interestingly enough, like founding, growing, scaling is the easiest thing on earth for guys with our personalities. You just rev high. You just dump resources in lots of hours. Boom. We can collect a lot of people. We can do a lot of stuff. Not a big deal. Making the transition from grower, founder, scaler, cowboy, firefighter to professional, consistent manager that my company needs literally broke me. <laughs> it like, it is the hardest thing with our person. Physically, it's easier. It's an office job. It's standard office hours. It's being consistent with tiny little tasks throughout the day. And I want to rip my face off doing <laughs> So I've been trying to, I've been trying to make that professional transition with the help of a lot of people. And honestly, I would rather scrape a water tower in the sun than do that most days. But I'm finding love for it now that you realize it's a higher calling. It is a tougher task and I love a tougher task. So it's been a weird journey. Well, wow, that's, I love the way you define that. One of the things that I've done to help me, I get bored easily and <laughs> I, my personality style on, on the disc platform is a high D, high I, and which is all fast. Both of those are fast paced. So I've surrounded myself with some slower paced thinkers and supportive people that they really love to do the things that I'm terrible at and I get to do what they don't yeah. really want to do. And so I, unfortunately, I didn't learn this until I was rebuilding my company, which is a whole nother story, but I learned <laughs> personality styles and behavioral tendencies, really understanding that really changed my life and my leadership oh, and using huge. that to position people on my team has just been absolutely trans transformational. But yeah. I see all these guys that and guys and gals that are yeah. trying to wear all of the hats in their company when what they need to do is maybe outsource their weakness, if you could say that. But I see that a lot. And but I feel your pain. If you're gonna be if you're gonna be the leader, there are certain things that you have yeah. to be good at. And one of those yeah. is inspecting what you expect. And and realistically, that's yes. managing. <clears throat> it's and that, accountability. that accountability 100%. thing. Yep. Now, so when I think about Nick Slavic, here's one of the things that I think of you in so many ways as SOP guy, because I've constantly seen yep. you share these, your SOPs online with guys that ask, and they're so clear cut, yep. do this, then that, then this, then that. And just, it makes it so easy to follow a process. Is that something you started yeah. your company with? Cause unfortunately <laughs> I didn't, I had to go back and do all that. Oh, Jason Phillips. How funny, how funny. Oh no, I didn't have any of this stuff. Listen, I've been in this industry over 30 years. I've owned my business for 16. I didn't have an SOP or anything written down until five or six years ago, honestly. So literally, I was left like five or six years ago, maybe even seven now with no employees having a bunch just left. And I reformed the entire company and got serious with the help of other people. So no, this, it, what's really interesting too, is that yes, most people have this reference point that I'm the SOP guy. People have no idea how much I hate them and how much I fight against them. It is a necessary evil, Mr. Jason, because SOPs are standard. I, I literally came from the military where all we do is SOPs. There's an SOP to make your bed. They give you a stick with colored bands on it and you lay the stick over the sheets and the sheets have to be folded back and I want to rip my face off. I thought, this is stupid. What are we doing? But there is a point to SOPs and I've and again, going from cowboy firefighter to professional manager, you realize that you have to be genuine in your own way of running a company. I don't like SOPs, so I crafted them in the most simplest, straightforward, intuitive ways I can. They fit my personality and, and that of the company and finding your own voice within your company as a manager and leader has been very important to me 
because I can't do the Jason Phillips way. It would be very, maybe I could, I don't know, but I can't do a lot of what else I see out there. So you got to find your own voice and be gentle. I think you and I are probably more alike than we might realize after hearing some of this. Oh, yeah. uh, by the way, I knew there was an SOP for how to make your bed. I did not know that there was a stick with colors on it. And it makes me think about, oh, yeah. okay, if we think about how much does a pound weigh or how far is a foot or a meter, there is actually somewhere in the world, I don't remember where it is, there's a standard by which, you know, in the gas pumps every year, gas pumps are measured to make sure you truly get a gallon of gas. And that's what, yep. as, a, as a business owner, we need things to be consistently repeatable. And if we don't have a measuring mm -hmm. stick to tell us yes. if someone followed yes. the process, not just tell us if they followed the process, but they can know whether they followed the process. We're just going to be firefighter, cowboy forever. And yeah. And it is that thing where we, the problem is I got presented in the last 36 months, lots of things that challenge me and things and knee jerk reaction. We once held as a point of pride and I fought against. Now I see as almost a source of weakness as your company gets bigger. So I used to pride me and my leadership team on give us a problem and we'll solve it. Start a fire. Nobody's better at firefighters. That is not a way to run a professional, consistent business. You don't want fires. A sign of a fire is not a great thing. You need to craft processes so that fires don't come up. Now, always have your SOP for conflict resolution, but that's like break under glass kind of stuff. So what we used to think is a point of pride as your business grows, putting in bulk amount of hours, sweating profusely in your office, you're working so hard, putting out fires constantly. We love this. This is our culture. Not after a certain point, you're going to lose all your people. People don't want to work in an environment like that. Dude, right? same, <laughs> almost the same thing. We used to say in my company that we thrive in chaos. And so what did we always, what did what were we attracted to? What chaos? Chaos. We need and, chaos and, to thrive. And, but it's not scalable. <laughs> and it's honestly, it's not sustainable either. And like you no. said, most people no. don't want to be a part of that. And Jason, in your company, how many people share your high D personality profile? Um, quite a few, very similar, yeah. quite a few, <laughs> but we, we have in different positions, we have, we know that certain personality styles are going to thrive in certain positions. Uh, and I know yep. on my leadership team, each person, like I've got one guy, my VP, and if we've got a customer, let's say we've really dropped the ball. We've got a customer that's mad at us. Mm, okay. Yeah. It happens, right? <laughs> and yeah. he can go out there and turn that potential social media bomb into a five-star review. He's that good with people. Yeah. He's way That's better awesome. than me. And yeah. when I was a young leader, I'm like, oh, uh, nobody can be better than me in this or that or in anything. I'm the boss. I'm the leader. I've got to be the best. <laughs> But man, yep. it's let bring me people that, that are better than me. I need people that are better than yeah. me in their lane. Agreed. Agreed. Because we are not the best. And if we only bring people uh, at or below our level, we have now limited. 100%. So tell me, it, does, have you, if I ask you this question, tell me if something comes to mind and if nothing comes to mind, we can just move on. Have you ever made a, a serious blunder with your leadership that was difficult to recover? I, th I, th I think it's hard to even organize a thought to give you one. That's been my life for 15 years. The biggest mistake mistakes I've made as a leader. There's some very obvious ones that everybody goes through, but assuming that everybody has my same motivators, personality types, wants, wishes, desires, and expectations. I remember 15 years ago, everybody I hired, I thought was going to be a business partner. And like I, like I talked about at the start, there are some things to people who have had a certain amount of life experience and business background that are very obvious, like how to lead people, how to manage people, what accountability is. For me and most of the rest of the industry that, that drowned ourselves 
in a bucket of paint and tried to be the master crafts people that we are, a lot of that stuff isn't obvious to us. And we had to learn it the hard way with hundreds of repetitions of hiring and firing and finding that voice and all of my mistakes. Even this year, what brought upon a lot of epiphany, I was not the manager that I should have been. And it led to a big realization in my life and a big change. And yeah, we still make them. And I think the thing about managing and leading that is so enticing for guys like us is that it's not solvable. You can do well for a while, but even if you understand disc profiles and motivators and you got good comp plans and good accountability, the culture of the United States changes too. Every decade, we're going to find that things shift under our feet, right? So it's a never solvable thing. That's man, that's a great, that is a great, that is a great insight. There's a lot of, I'm just thinking, you've got me thinking here. There's so many contractors out there that are doing, let's say 500 to a million in revenue mm -hmm. and they're trying to get to that next level. And yeah. what would you tell them? Maybe something they don't know. They think it's all, they may think they yeah. just need more leads. Maybe yeah. not. But what do you see as some critical components to make that leap above a million? Categorize this under the things that were not obvious to Nick Slavic growing a business. This seems to be the theme of the show and, and I will continue to offer these things. What was not obvious is when you hire a project manager or an estimator and what you even do to make that decision. And just to be honest, there's absolutely plateaus in this business. 500K being one, a million being the next, probably between 1.5 and two, and then three. Those are the stages of business. If you find yourself between them, you either have too much labor and not enough overhead or too much overhead, and not enough labor. What I wish somebody would have pulled me aside when I had no employees was that, Nick, if you ever want somebody under your employee that does not paint overhead people and leadership team, you're going to have to be between 1 million and 1.5 million. And everything between now and that is all you. Because guess what? The functions of business don't change. IT, HR, finance, uh, operations, all those things. Guess what? Whether you can afford them or whether you have them or not, they need to exist. And until you can hire somebody else out, it's all you. So that zero to one, zero to 1.5 is cowboy face. You just have to do it until you can afford somebody to help you. And that's it. Hire an estimator at 500 grand. Either you're going into debt or you can't afford a real estimator. And that's just the reality of what we do. Yeah, that's a man. That's a great insight. That is a great insight. And it's, I like to walk people through a simple exercise of using contribution profit. You can look at gross profit if you want. How much gross profit or contribution yep. profit do I need to generate to at least break even on this position and, and buy my time yes. back? Once you think, once you put some numbers to it, then it becomes a numbers based decision. And it's really not that it difficult. Is. Tell me, tell us about, about, I know you're big on culture and my company, we're big on culture. We have this thing called Team Ali, but what is, what is Nick Slavic painting and restorations like culture? How would you describe the culture you have at your company? Obviously you've got 35 employees. Yeah. It's going to be rigorous standards and empathy, rigorous standards and empathy. And I felt like I've really tried to not see my experience in trades V1 as a negative and shy away from it. There are some very great things that, that I picked up from trades V1, which is push standards, production. If you want to win, that's the easiest way. But nowadays you can push too hard, especially with my personality. So I have, I believe if somebody were to look inside our business, I think they would walk away with two things, which is Nick does not mess around. There is a standard in this company and everybody can recite it. But also Nick is one of the more understanding humans that's ever employed another person. I, I truly believe that. Now, having said that, I'm not perfect and nobody is. And I'm still on a path of learning this, but I think those are the takeaways that somebody would see if they shook this yeah, business. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That is awesome. So let, let's talk about your team and maybe I should be asking your team this. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, I've so, done it myself. So does your team understand that your personality, that you have strengths and weaknesses? Do you guys have conversations around personality type stuff in your business? Yeah, and this is a very delicate um, kind of conversation. And when we talk between business owners, we all have this base of knowledge and context 
where the things I'm going to say make complete sense. And I want, because this goes out to the public, my employees do listen to these things and the public does listen to these things. I share it on all my social media things. I will say this, people like you and I will always care more about the disc profiles and the future of the business and people's potential and things like that, almost more than them. And at some point, I, I do operate under this assumption that even the finest people that work with me, they love this business, they love what we do, but they have a very large life outside of this and they may not think that much about me. And I, that doesn't make them good or bad. These are people I, I love and I love doing this with, but they may not think about me as much as I think about them. And guess what? That's just fine. I used to, in the past, disprofile every single human that came in and work with them on it. But I did finally realize that it's a it's a reactive thing. It, I love disprofiles, still use them. But when I start talking about my own pers personality profile, there's always going to be this separation between who writes the fronts of the checks, who signs the fronts of the checks, and who signs the back of the checks. We can never truly... See, this is a difficult conversation. I would love to have personal relationships with every single human in my company. I don't believe that's their desire and it's okay, right? And so when we start getting deeper into that stuff, there's always going to be this weird glass wall, at least my experience with the person who owns the business, signs the front of the checks and the people who sign the back of the checks. I just know this from 15 years of data points of people will talk to me about certain things and not other things. And I understand it and I almost respect it because I'm the company owner. And I'm not sure that's a bad thing, to be honest, Jason. And, and you can see me, you can see me stream of consciousness trying to make a coherent thought about this. I'm in a world where I love my people deeply. All I do is think about the future and they may not do the same and it doesn't make them bad. And I don't think about them differently. And that's a and weird I, world. Man, I agree. In. They've got it. Like you said, they've got a big life outside of work. Absolutely. And it, you can only really deeply know a small amount of people anyway. No, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with you there at all. No, I'm definitely not going to argue with you there. <laughs> it's it's a thought I wrestle with all the time because what we what I see a lot because I talk to a lot of business owners is like my people are the thing, the relationships are the thing. All I do is think about my people. All I do is that, and then they make decisions where the th words don't necessarily meet meet up with their actions and things like that. And so I'm I think the most effective way that I can operate a business is to just be genuine. And so I express this desire for empathy and caring and knowing and being involved involved in their lives. And if they're not interested, I completely respect that. And that's just is what it is. But that's my personality. Wanting to be involved with them is not a tactic to keep them around. This is me. Genuinely, I think about my people 24 hours a day. And if they don't think about me, it doesn't even mean they're bad. It just means that's the world that we live in. And it's not going to stop me. Yeah, from that's doing man, it. that's an awesome insight. And I feel like Nick, that I feel like trust is the currency of business. And whether it's internally yeah. with our with our employees or teammates, or even externally with our clients. And and I, when they know you're available and that you care, yeah. there's there's this trust level. I posed a question the other day, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. I said, at the end of the year, if your employees, and I'm not asking you to answer this about your employees necessarily, I'm asking you your thoughts yeah. on this. Yeah. At the end of the year, if your employees got a survey that they could respond to anonymously, and they were the survey was about you as their leader, as their boss, whatever, and there's one single question, my leader, manager, boss, owner, always maintains his integrity no matter what. What? would they say? And I think if the question, yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I no, don't mean that, to interrupt that, you. Yeah. I, I want to ask and answer that for myself. Obviously we don't have ultimate yeah. control over the way people perceive us, but as leaders, we've got to care oh, about yeah. the answer to that question. So yeah. what, what, what do you do in your company to, to maintain your integrity when, what guides you when there could be, let's just say ethical dilemmas? Oh yeah. 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 Being a very rigorous humanist, I have learned that using data solves a lot of that stuff. So something as simple, listen, 
if first core value of my company is gain and maintain trust. So when we hire people, we have five core values and we use that standard when we hire, like core values are not just a poster in the lobby where we say, yeah, those are the five core values. They're actually a checklist of who we hire in the company, who we fire and things like that. And I honestly believe that the basis of this, and if you want to be a world-class boss, you do not mess with people's pay and comp. And, and for me, it has to be simple, it has to be predictable, and it has to be transparent, and it has to be data-driven. So what I think I do to gain the trust of my people the most is not a pizza party. It's not even a humanistic thing. It's a data-based pay and comp that only deals with their data and none of my feelings. And I think when you remove the boss's feelings from pay and comp, it is a beautiful objective system where now if you want trust, all we're doing is turning around their attendance and job performance. And that's it. It has nothing to do with my feelings. I'm just the reporter of it. And I honestly think sprinkle in empathy, like I said before, but at the same time, not having a, a feelings-based comp system honestly builds the biggest base of trust I've ever wow, seen. I love that. Wow. That is an incredible insight because it just makes me think of some recent conversations I've had is, is hey, Jason, <laughs> so-and-so is doing a great job on my team. And I want to recognize that and reward that. And, that's, and my answer was, there's a couple things you could do. One, if, yeah. if you just have this feeling, just give them a bonus. You could do that, but really mm -hmm. create a clear compensation package for them that relies on data, the data that matters. So that, that's that interesting point that you've made that. So Nick, you travel quite a bit and you run a very significant yes. business. How do you balance that? Ah, you have hit on my 2024 goal, Jason Phillips. I am going to try to shoehorn what I do into a 40 hour work week next week because I have a gas tank that had two reserve tanks and I've been expending it everywhere but my own family and myself for a lot of years. And what I'm not saying is screw everybody else, Nick's taking a little me time or a me year. This is not that. This is me saying, how good of a leader do you think you are? If you do this in 63 hours a week now, if you think you're good at this, why don't you try it in 40? See if you can get the same result or better. And so that is that is it. And I get super intentional. So the secret to all this is very simple for me and my personality, which is Google Calendar and a to-do list. And I found that everything in my business is cloud-based and Google-based except for my to-do list. Three times a year, I make a spreadsheet, a G sheet with my to-do list and I don't use it. I make the same thing on a notebook that I rewrite every morning and I'm super, super effective with it. So it's, it's doing the traction based thing, which is at the end of the year, I want to accomplish this. So what four things in four quarters need to get done? What things by the month, what things by the week, and then what things by the day? And that's simple. I write a one page to-do list of all the things that need to be done. I rewrite it every morning. I pick three to five things for the week and I try to do them. All, all under, the thing that keeps me operating in the system is overestimate what they think they can do in a week and they underestimate what they think they can do in a year. And in my transition from firefighter to professional manager who has a button up shirt and office hours and is consistent and not not emotional, not extreme, is you pick your three to five things. These seemingly insignificant, mundane, unsexy things, get them done this week because at the end of the year, 52 weeks times five things, that is a pile of achievement at the end of the year. That's Man, that's incredible. Have you read the book I Atomic wish, Habits? So on my shelf, I will tell you this, Jason Phillips, I am famous for never reading business books. I've read three business books in my life. I have used them, I've implemented them, and I've, I have a shelf full and I never read anything else. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that just collect education and never do it. 
you know, do anything. It's, I, I would rather do a few books and implement them than read a ton. That's so that's how I sleep at night. Now I, I do envy people who take in a lot of the info, but I know with my personality, like I'll read traction and then I'll spend three years actually doing it to my business. And then I'll read grit and I'll spend 18 months doing something to my personal life about it. I, I am super envious of these guys who are like, I'm going to the beach. I got my seven books and I knocked them all out. It's God, I wish I could do that. I hope you do something from Man, the books. I, could, I cannot do that. Wait, <laughs> do you have any type of particular morning routine that helps keep you on track? Do you get up at the same time? Do you do things in a certain order? How do you organize your daily routine through the week? Um, safe place. We, we're all contractors and owners here. My morning routine is a problem. It's something I'm actually trying to break myself out of because I'm a morning guy. I literally will get up between 3.30 and 4 and hammer and just hammer. I've had people help me with my personal life and continue to help me with my personal life about trying to be a consistent manager and not a firefighter. And they look at my morning routine and they're just like, oh God, we got to stop you from that. That is, if you want to talk about emptying your gas tank, like my 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 most productive time is between four in the morning and seven thirty in the morning, and they literally will say that is a mountain of achievement early in the morning. Now I, I can say this openly because it sounds like boasting. It's actually problematic, and I wake up early. I spend all my energy getting things done for the business, and by evening time with my kids, I'm completely shot, and and that's disgusting. That's disgusting. So I'm actually trying to wean myself off of early. Wow, mornings. I've never heard someone say that, but I mean, after hearing how early you get up, I get that. How could you not be yeah. exhausted? But Jason, the the day. zero to three million in a couple of years, you must get up at four. Okay, take 10 years. If you want to go zero to three million and go from zero people to 35, subcontracting, shop, 20 vans, all that other stuff, take 10 years if you want. You could probably do it in 50 hours a week. The problem is I don't have that time. Like I am in my 40s now. It is time to do this. We need to come upon some realizations. We need to get to getting. And my plan was we we're going to do a lot of stuff in a very compressed time so that I don't have to do a lot of stuff in a compressed time. There's some truth to that. I like the way Dave Ramsey says it. He says, if you live today like others won't, you can live tomorrow like others can't. Now, he generally is using that to talk about how you spend your money, but in, it, it also applies yeah, to yeah. how you are building your business. And there, it is, it is. And, oh, sorry. And having said that, somebody, most people will do that way quicker and better and more intelligently than me. I, like I told you, I used my high pain tolerance as a broadsword against my own business of saying, yeah, fine. If I can't do it in 40, I'll do it in 80 hours. And that'll just be the way instead of being more intentional about it. So that has been my big mistake. Now, five, six years later, I'm very proud of the achievements. All my people are great. I love this, but man, if I could do it again, Jason Phillips. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, yes. Uh, they're, they're, yep. they're, I can see it in your face too. We would could all be a line, You could go down a, a road of regrets <laughs> real quick right there, but yeah. we don't have that opportunity, do we? No. And I think the way that I may a culpa for that <clears throat> and it is to give back like other people gave to me. So then PCA, social media, things like that, which is, I know the pain my family went through and is still going through. And I do not wish that on anybody. And almost everybody I meet younger than us coming into this industry is way smarter than we were. And I'm glad that doesn't mean I'm not going to help them try to prevent those pitfalls that I did. Because I found, not only did I find all the landmines, Jason, I put some in myself and then found those too. Forgot I had them there and then stepped over them too. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. You're, yes, I, re I can relate to that. Wow. <sighs> so what's, what's the future vision for your painting and restoration company? 
This is something that 12 months ago, I was completely flabbergasted, didn't know what I would, didn't really know, right? We pride ourselves as visionaries thinking, oh, the most exciting thing is a 10 year plan. It was a big question mark for me. There were a lot of things that didn't feel right, that weren't quite working like I wanted to, that made me really doubt if this is what it feels like to do 3 million, do I want 10? Is that what happens? Does it get easier or harder? I don't assume it gets easier. Now, after this year though, we made some major changes. I've went through a personal mini transformation and the future is actually pretty clear, which is right now we can talk about many years down the road where right now I need to reinvest in my family. I need to reinvest in my family. And we're at about a $3 million, uh, somewhere between three and 3.1 right now. We're at a plateau. We're at that thing where if we grow again, it's got to be to 4.5. It's got to be to 4.6, 4.7. We don't add three painters and a project manager anymore. If you add one more bit of overhead, it's a million and a half dollar residential repaint business unit. So honestly, right now we've been cowboying and firefighting for so many years. My team literally is dusting off their flak jackets, their oil and their weapons. We've been through war. We have gone through it. This has been trench warfare for six, seven years. I want to give them a little break. I want to maximize their bonuses, make their jobs all 40 hours a week, which Jason, one of the most important accomplishments I've done this last year, every single one of my leadership team and painters, we can do everything we need for the business's goals in 40 hours a week. And it's their choice to work more than that. And so I'm very happy. Now there's one human who does not do that in the company right now. That human is me for next year. But I think we're going to take a one to three year pause. We are going to see how much we can maximize profit. I would like to push it to a very interesting true net profit percentage. I would like to have consistency. I would like to have 40 to 44 hours a week for every single human in my company. I would like to have a lot of high fives, a lot of laughter. And then in the end, I'll go to my troops, my squad, and I'll say, who wants to go to four seven? This is what it looks like. Who's in with me? And then we'll make that decision. Man, I want to applaud you for that because it it takes courage. The the default is, hey guys, revenue. And and as we all say, volume for vanity, (laughs) profit for sanity, right? And I think, man, that is very admirable to to say, hey, let's tune it up and let's make our lives better because we want yeah. we want freedom and freedom isn't in the revenue. And there's, yeah. So people always forget about the the fixed and variable expenses of a business too. And as good salespeople, sometimes we con ourselves into thinking that a little bit of sales and revenue will fix everything. And it usually creates more problems. It, I think it's going to be very interesting bunch of years now where after I think about, and I don't want people to think that I'm uh, talking bad about my cowboy firefighter grower founder scale years because that's what you need, right? A consistent, boring manager in a short sleeve button up shirt is not going to start a company and grow it rapidly. They just don't do it. It's not because they're good or bad. It just is. But now the true part about all this is once you get to three or past, you might be able to start affording a general manager, an integrator or somebody at about this level. But to really afford it, you really should be somewhere between four and five. And so that's the next incentive for me, which is if this is not my personality to be a consistent manager, you have to hire that out to get the type of manager that really I believe this company deserves. This isn't a $60,000 a year job, you're going to have a highly compensated, proven pro, an operator, somebody who gets energy like you and I from growing, founding, scaling into the day-to-day accountability. And so I think you could do that somewhere between 150 and 200 grand a year with a bunch of incentives. We're going to need to be at that next level. So even going from the Cowboys thing to growing that way, now, theoretically, we might grow this company 50% in the next three years or just one big leap when we decide, but it's going to be a professional, consistent database growth and not let's grab some humans, Jason, and just see what happens. We'll let the PL shake out at the end. If you don't, we, you and I both know this. If you grow it wrong, you might double your revenue and 10 extra headaches. Oh, oh, 
you yeah. guaranteed to. Yeah, pretty much guaranteed. guaranteed. So yeah, think about it. Like the thing that hamstrings most of us is direct reports. Honestly, it's the machinations of clients and our employees because we're all humans. We're all snowflakes. We're all irrational. We're all feral cats. We do a bunch of stuff. If we just had a factory with robots, we could grow to an interesting stat that, that my coach gave me, which is a manufacturing business is three times less complex than a service business. So a $3 million painting business is like a $10 million manufacturing business because of automations and robots. That's a true statement that we have so many variables, so many humans, clients, employees, things like that, that great, grab 20 people. Guess what? You have now 20 direct reports that you need to foster, mentor, take care of, develop, coach, show empathy towards, and then help them through your pay scale. That is a mountain of work. That's incredible. The more people you have, the more people problems you have. And that's why I, back in the mid 20 teens, I, I made it, I, I came to a realization. I said, learning people skills is an absolute key to my future and our company's future. <sighs> So I wasn't really good at them. <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. And that's when I went and started studying behavior and people and getting these certifications yeah. in human behavior and this and that, because I just knew that was part of our future. But you're absolutely right. And the thought of having 20 direct reports, that seems next to impossible to me. That That's a tall order. To treat them well? Yeah. Hey, listen, you can sit down for one hour a year and talk about their pay and comp, but you're not investing in your humans. And everybody younger than us wants way more involvement in this business. They're not, they're not passive employees that get a job, hang out for 32 years and then retire. These are people that they are going to be gone in six months if you don't invest heavily in them. And gosh, and, and so there's the idea that if I invest in these people and I spend this time, then they might just leave. And I like the way John Maxwell Good. says it. He says, well, you can invest in your, and you can invest in people and take the risk that they might leave, or you could not invest in them and they stay. Yeah, exactly. That That's not the culture any no. of us want to create, right? Hey, let's shift <laughs> gears for a second, Nick. Uh, let's, can we talk about the PCA? The expo is just right around the corner. And I, your speech last year, when you took the baton from Jason Paris was so inspiring, yeah. by the way, it was so so inspiring. Oh, thank you. And I, I love the direction that the PCA is going. And it just, it, it aligns with what I believe personally and what I want to impact the industry as well. And that's why I, I so want to just continue to walk alongside and support and be a part and champion the PCA. But the expo is coming up and mm -hmm. what should people be excited about? Yeah, this is without hyperbole. This is our Super Bowl. This is it. Like this is the crowning event of the entire year. Internally, we spend an entire year. There's a board of directors with officers, a finance major. There are eight or nine committees full of servant leaders that weekly discuss content, speakers, lanes. What about for estimators? What about for project managers and business owners? And how do we organize it into four options every time during the day? What does the food and beverage look like? What does the event look like? How does it flow? What are the parties at night? Things like like that. By the time Expo kicks off, there'll probably be 20,000 hours of investment into something like this to craft the finest training and togetherness and camaraderie that this industry has. And as the chairman of the board of directors, with the support of my officers, we have given the PCA staff and all the committees carte blanche to blow this thing out. We can get somewhere between probably 700 and 1,000 humans in, the, in Orlando this year. And we basically told them we are going to do it. The highest value prop that the PCA has right now, mountains of resources. But the thing people talk about all the time is the in-person events because guys like you and I get to stay in the same room and we're having a super in-depth feelings-based conversation right now. It's still different when you and I are in the same room. We go up to Jason's presidential suite after hours with a group of 30 other killers and we have a completely different conversation there and you can only have those there. And so that's the special thing about the PCA's events, which is I've never met a human who went to one and said, eh, everybody walks away literally. Yeah, mind blown. I, I think about everything differently. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better craftsperson. I want to be 
be a better business owner. I want to change the world. I want to help my community. That's, you cannot manufacture that, Jason. If I told you, go create an event in the plumbing industry that makes people want to walk away and change the world, be like, God dang, how do you do that? It's here. It is here. And it has been the culture of this 140 year old organization. And I will not take that. Man, that is awesome. Nick, I, this really breaks my heart. I run into, I see so many contractors that one, they're not members of the PCA. Some don't even know who the PCA is. And then sometimes there's this mindset of, I don't know if it's worth it to go. And there's this, I'm this, there's this, I don't need that. I'm Mr. Alpha male running my business. I can do this. But then when you finally convince someone to go and after literally the first day, their eyes are like huge, wide open. They're like, oh my. Gosh, I cannot believe this exists. Where, why have I been so stupid all these years and not been a part of this? That's literally what I hear from person after person. There's only two people in our industry, Jason Phillips, people who have been to the expo and basically stand there and say, I don't even know what to say. And then there's people who haven't gone. And I can guarantee you this, PCA members and the people who go to the expo, on average, when we survey them, have a business that's 15 times longer and 10 times longer lived than the average painting business in the United States. So statistically, again, the one of the strategies I hear advice to young people is find the largest pile of money and stand as near of it, as near to it as you can. Cause success just breeds from that. Right. And when we say pile of money, we mean a lot of things, the biggest pile of geniuses, the biggest pile of success and excellence and consistency. I would urge people, if you just want to be super selfish and want to work less and make more money, go stand next to the largest pile of successful business owners in your industry. There is literally Jason, you are the exemplar of every single human at the expo, which is I'm here to help. I'll give you my personal phone number and whatever you need from me, I will give to you. I will give to you my time. I will give to you my resources. And for no other reason than we're servant leaders and we want what's best for this industry. And in turn, we, you guys like you and me are going to find ways to give back somehow. I'm so glad that the PCA is there to help people give back in the highest possible way that they can. We are the conduit for servant leaders who want to multiply their offerings. Yes, man. I love that. I wish, and, and I just, for, for those of you that are watching or listening to this podcast, I want you to know that you are potentially one relationship or one conversation away from a literal change in your life and in your business to start a new journey. There, There's people, the, the problems that you have, there's people that have solved them. And guess what? The solutions may not be as, as difficult or complex as you think. No. And when you talk to that right person, it's just going to empower you yeah. in such an amazing way. I just want to encourage you guys, you've got you've to become a member. Yeah. You've got to go to the expo this year. I don't want to overhype this, but I've started condensing my my professional life of this last year into, I've been asked again by the committee to give the, not the main keynote from the public speaker on day one, but as I've been accustomed to on the last day, that speech that you were referencing, I have a doozy for you guys this year. How members from the PCA saved my life. Wow, man, I can, dude, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear it. I cannot wait to hear it. (laughs) Incredible. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Wowzers. Nick, I I know we're about (laughs) out of time here, man. This has been, this is, this has been incredible. And I, I don't want to assume that everybody <sighs> knows how to find you online. I would be surprised if they don't already know who you are. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll find your feet. So, you stand still. <laughs> so what's the best way? Would it just be go to nickslavic.com? Yeah. On any social media platform, even the weird ones, the threads and the Twitters and everything else. If you type in Nick Slavic or ask a painter, you're going to stumble across me very okay, quickly. Great. Guys, connect up with Nick, subscribe. He's been hosting the Ask a Painter for what? How many years now? Six, seven and a half? Seven and a half. 
half. And uh, yeah. yeah, so Tina, Nick is a giver. He is known as a giver. He's a smart guy. And you can tell from our conversation today, he's learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And so Still that's, he, he, and me as well. And <clears throat> you guys out there who are listening, <laughs> you don't have to learn everything the hard way. So that's why Nick would do this. There's guys like me and Jason that are here to so, help. <laughs> well, Nick, thank you so much, man. And uh, yeah, th thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, to share today. And I have no doubt that our viewers and listeners will find tremendous value in this episode. I hope so. And thank you for what you do for the industry, Jason. Uh, you were a stalwart when I showed up. You're a stalwart now and you're amplifying your voice and your give back to the industry. And I just want to recognize well, very you. kind words. I look forward to seeing you at the expo in late February. It's going to be a banger as the kids right. say. God bless, God bless Nick and God bless all the rest of you guys. See you soon. Hey, contractors, I want to invite you to connect. If you want to get connected with the Contractor Freedom community, simply point your browser to contractorfreedom.live. That's contractorfreedom.live. On there, you'll find the link to our Facebook private group, our page, our newsletter. You'll find a, a link to our podcast. So I just want to invite you to, to come on over, join the community. I look forward to getting to know you more. Thanks for listening in today.